I've listened to Kid A by Radiohead for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to the Spin It Birthday Party. I'm James, and welcome to Spin It, the one-year-old record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. With me, as always, is my co-host, Connor. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. I didn't think about what the next one would be. Happy birthday to us. Ha- happy birthday, dear Spin It, if I could make a suggestion. Oh, <laughs> oh, um... Uh, happy birthday! Wait, what'd you say? I'm just spitballing. Happy birthday, dear Spin It. It's kind of happy a standard birthday, format. dear Spin It. Happy birthday to us. All right, that's copyrighted. I don't know if we can even put that on oh, a podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you get the point. Hey, happy uh, episode Listen, fifty-three. The point is, the point is, give us your money. No, no, don't. Yeah, I don't like the direction you've taken this. <laughs> You said lead in with it. I let in with it. That's not how we're leading in with it. <laughs> this is episode 53. We're celebrating our one year all right, podcast hang on, hang on. anniversary whoa, whoa. all week. All right, all right. If We can't just tell them to give us money. What if we offer to give them things in exchange for their money? <laughs> Great. So what it sounds like you're saying is that we could trade goods for money. And or services. Goods and but or. mainly goods. But mainly goods because that's what you do. When you open up a merchandise store. Merchandise! That's right, folks. You heard correctly. Spin It Pod officially is launching a store tomorrow. You can find it through our website at spinitpod.com. But we've spent the last couple weeks <laughs> making uh, some shirts, some hats, some stickers. And by we, we mean the manufacturing department. Well, yes. Remember them from, like, episode five? I don't remember <laughs> what episode that was that we made the manufacturing department. But then we finally put them to work. They've laid dormant for months, and this is their time to shine. <laughs> so anyway, if you're so inclined and you want to go check out some of the interesting products that we've made, literally some of them are quite interesting. Some of them will surprise you. Some of them surprised us. There's some great stuff. Anyway, you can find that. It's powered by Etsy, but it's full of products that will print on demand. So head on over to spinitpod.com, spinitpod shop on the Etsy store, and we'll see you there. It's very cool. Even if nobody buys anything, I'm just happy we have merchandise. <laughs> I'm just happy to make ridiculous products. I've been addicted to it. Yeah. So the store is the first of several exciting things we have planned for this week. It's a week-long birthday party. Yeah, we're going to be celebrating our year anniversary with basically something every day this week. Uh, Today, you're getting the episode. Tomorrow will be the official drop of the store. Stay tuned because in the same vein as the store, we're going to be doing a bit of a a merch giveaway (laughs) on our socials, a a raffle of sorts. You'll you'll have directions on how to enter and get some free Spin It merch. Limited edition. It's limited edition, one of a kind. So keep an eye on our socials, at SpinItPod on Twitter and at SpinItPod Official on Instagram for more information about how to get in on that. And, uh, and for all the other stuff we're doing throughout the week, too. We, we've got a lot of things on the docket. We're one year old. Yeah, yeah. We are officially past that mark. <laughs> we're in our terrible twos. I sure hope not. Are we? No, I guess technically only, are we one? How does that work? 
We wonder are we how did when did the terrible twos begin? We're only one. The terrible twos. Are begin. the terrible twos from two to three or from one to two? How's it work? No, I don't know. no, it's from two to three. Oh, we're not in our terrible terrible twos then. We're in our what's a synonym for terrible? It starts with an O. I don't know. Horrible if you're British. Horrible or hey, what are not horrible ones? <laughs> I can't believe you just did that. Yikes. <laughs> We're in the horrible ones, ain't we? No, I don't think there is a synonym. Gabna? Don't force it. I like horrible ones. No, it's awful. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. You said it and that's what it is. But should we actually get into like the episode now? Yeah, I think we, we've made our first big announcement. Stay tuned for more big announcements later. But we should talk about Radiohead. Uh, a, a band and an album that I picked to kick off the second year because it's one that I really, again, spoilers at the top of the episode... It's an album I really enjoy. It's a bit of a highlight album for me on this whole podcast. And I learned a lot about the band while I was researching for this. So I'm excited about it. And I hope you are too. And I can't tell. This is an album where I think you're really on the teeter-totter. And I could pick out things that you might like about it, things that you might hate about it. You could give this album a a 9. You could give this album a 2. And I just don't know which way you're going to go. I could go either way. Who knows? We'll have to wait about 50 minutes to find out. So let's jump into it. Let's talk about Radiohead. You you probably know Creep, right? Yeah, one of my, it's a great it's a great song. It is. We a, did it in high school. We did uh, in the band. The band did Creep. How did it go? Uh, we creeped, crept, crept. We crepted. No. <laughs> oh. We creeped. Creeped. <laughs> Delicious. We creeped. We crepted. We creeped. <laughs> What an episode this birthday party. Hey, wait, wait, where's the cake? You didn't get cake? I didn't know it was my job to get cake. You get cake for yourself. It's your job. I to- already had, I, well, I already had to, I already had to buy one cake. I feel like you should have been responsible for, for the other. What, what cake did you buy? Oh, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, just, uh, we'll leave that bit alone for now. Yeah, Radiohead's famous for Creep. That's kind of their first big hit that launched them into superstardom. And I figure you probably don't know much else about Radiohead. No, that's about it, yeah. Well, it's about time you learned. Radiohead is an English rock band from... What was that? Part of the chorus of Creep. It wasn't easily identifiable, I'm sorry to say. Okay. That's Creep, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's Creep. I'm a weirdo. Radiohead is an English rock band from Oxfordshire, England. They formed in 1985 after they all met together in a school for boys. They initially named their band On a Friday because that was the day that they could hang out in the music room of their school to practice. Oh, the band was on a Friday. I, I don't know why I interpreted that as like they named the band on a Friday. <laughs> they picked a, a, a nice warm Friday afternoon to come up with the name Radiohead. No, no, they called themselves on a Friday. I see. I understand the confusion. I, I guess I could have worded that better. The band consists of Tom York, who sings, plays the guitar, the keyboards, and is the primary lyricist in most cases. Johnny Greenwood plays the guitar, the keyboards, orchestral arrangements, and other quote-unquote specialty instruments. For example, when he first joined the band, he played the harmonica, and he also plays this instrument called the Ond Martineau, which is an electronic instrument that works kind of like a theremin. You move a ring up and down a wire, yep. and it, it kind of makes this wobbly sci-fi sound. Kid A, the album we're talking about today, is actually Johnny Greenwood's first time using the instrument, and you can hear it on songs like the National Anthem, How to Disappear Completely, and a bunch of other later Radiohead songs. But mostly, Green Greenwood is the band's lead guitarist, and wow, does he have some great moments. You won't hear a ton of his lead guitar work on Kid A, but he's just overflowing with musical talent. Gotta love Johnny Greenwood. 
Then there's Colin Greenwood, brother of Johnny, the bassist. And when I say bassist, I don't just mean a bass guitar. That also includes upright bass. Very impressive. Ed O'Brien plays the guitar. He sings backup vocals, and he handles a lot of special effects. So that includes a lot of ambient sounds, sustain effects, and a cool device I learned about called an e-bow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little electronic device that you use to play stringed instruments. Mm-hmm. It kind of works like playing a guitar with a violin bow because you put it close to your strings and it makes the string vibrate. It just vibrates indefinitely. No strumming, no picking. I know a lot about weird instruments. Do you? <laughs> As an instrumentalist. I see. Have you ever used an Ebo? Because learning about it kind of made me want one. No. <laughs> Literally for no reason. I, it would be the most like one-time trick. I, I would use it like I would use a blender. I would get it. I'd use it once or maybe for a week. And then I'd put it back down and wonder, why did I get this? Blenders are great, first off. Don't knock a blender. I wouldn't know. I don't have one. They're great. Make all sorts of stuff. Ever wanted to know what a hamburger was like to drink? Boom, blender. Boom, blender. I guess that is all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Ever get a milkshake that, like, you know, you, you try to drink it and it, you can't get anything up the straw, it's too thick? Boom, blender. Yeah, sure, I'll blend my milkshakes. Anyway, uh, Ed O'Brien is also, he's released some solo music under the moniker EOB. Then, there's Philip Selway, who plays the drums and other percussion instruments. As you probably heard... Kid A is where Radiohead starts to introduce drum machines and really open up their style a lot more. And when asked about this change, Selway said that adding the newer elements pushed me to create some new dynamics. It's another way of solving the problem of arranging songs. Electronics opened up my drumming rather than closing down the possibilities of what I can do. Now I can express myself in a more effective way. So I thought that was really cool. You know, you think sometimes if you start experimenting with electronic sounds and other instruments, you might feel like you're being edged out of the band. That's not the case with Radiohead and certainly not the case for Philip Selway. And actually because of that pivot to electronic music and drum machines and more of a a free-flowing sound and because they started getting so complicated with all their arrangements and performances the band has toured with a second percussionist clive deemer so that's the band in 1991 after six long years of working through school and kind of dabbling in musical projects one of their demos caught the ear of emi and it led to them signing a six album recording contract that is when they made the switch from on a friday to the iconic radiohead Uh, In regards to the band name, Tom York says, It's about the way you take information in, the way you respond to the environment you're put in. You're like a radio, right? Receiving signals and broadcasting it back out. That's the Radiohead idea. Their debut album, Pablo Honey, came out two years later in 1993. It was kind of divisive at the time, and I think Creep is to Radiohead what Smells Like Teen Spirit was to Cobain, or what Can't Smile Without You is to Barry Manilow. It's the overplayed one. It's the one that Radiohead is done with, you know? What the heck is that noise? What are you doing? Boom. Blender. Bl- <laughs> blender? You just... I'll just make myself a burger. Uh, uh, stop. <laughs> you making yourself... Whatever. So Radiohead does Creep. And Creep, Pablo Honey, just in general, is kind of like a mixed reviews album. But then they release The Benz. And then OK Computer... An album which a lot of people would probably have at the top of their own greatest albums list. And they started to build this huge cult following. And I don't want to say too much about these records because they're both definitely future episode material. They've got potential. But I do like them both quite a lot. The Benz was really my introduction into Radiohead. I had a a roommate that loved The Benz and would play it all the time. And so I got into it that way. OK Computer was a massive popular and critical success. And it was a really 
really big departure from their earlier style, and I think it's a huge landmark in the band's new experimental direction that just takes off in Kid A. I mean, we see it a ton on this record. Since then, of course, they've released a couple other albums. They've made quite a name for themselves. In total, they've earned 22 major awards on 79 nominations throughout their career. They've got 17 Brit Award nominations. Surprisingly, they've never won. They've got 20 Grammy nominations, winning Best Alternative Album twice in a row for OK Computer and Kid A, both of which were nominated also for Album of the Year. And then they won again for In Rainbows. They've earned four Ivor Novello Awards, which is awarded by the British Academy of Composers and Songwriters for their lyrics and music. They're the most nominated artist in history for the Mercury Prize, which is awarded annually to the best album in the UK and Ireland with five different nominations. They've got an MTV Music Award on 12 nominations, nine NME Awards, a Plug Independent Music Award, and much more. Plus, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. That's surprisingly recent. It is, yeah. Well, you, you figure it takes time to get a following, to get the reputation, and then to, you know, pass the vote and get inducted. We talked about how it took, yes, ages, ages and ages. They tried and campaigned and just couldn't get it. So to get into the Hall of Fame at all is a feat, but to do it while you're still actively a band, it's pretty impressive. Another little trivia tidbit that actually helped, I think, contribute a lot to Radiohead's success is that they were one of the first bands with a dedicated website. They set it up right after the success of Kid A in the late 90s, and it was one of the first band websites ever. So it gave the community a place to go. They could, like, disseminate information and it really just kind of acted like a hub. It was a really, this is a pivotal moment for music history. Band websites. Just like how our community, you should head on over to www.spinitpod.com. Yeah, we're one of the not first podcasts with a podcast website. So this week, of course, we're talking about the iconic Kid A. If you haven't heard it and you want the context, this is a heck of an album to jump in and listen to. If you're a first timer, just brace yourself. The album came out in 2000, Turn of the Millennium. It's really art rock, very experimental rock. It's very genre-fluid, ambient sound. I don't know. The closest thing we've talked about to it so far is maybe some tracks on I Like It When You Sleep for You're So Beautiful Yet So Unaware of It, even though that doesn't quite come close. So Radiohead's coming off the huge success of OK Computer. Cult following and all, the record label says, wow, you did great. We trust you to do whatever you want. Clearly, it's working. Meanwhile, Tom York gets pretty bad writer's block. He thinks that, quote-unquote, rock music has run its course. It's a played-out genre. He starts writing these pieces and fragments of songs. He's cutting up phrases and putting them together in different ways, really mixing it up. He's trying to use instruments that are totally unfamiliar to him. Also, I mean, in his own words, he said, I'd had it completely with melody. I just wanted rhythm. All melodies to me were pure embarrassment. So the result of all these things, the freedom from the record label, the writer's block, this experimental hunger, that leads to this very minimalistic, ambient, artsy record, Kid A. It's Radiohead's fourth of nine total studio albums to date. As a matter of fact, all the material that they created for this record was meant to be a double album, but they thought it was too dense, so they compiled the double part of the double album into their next album, Amnesiac, which came out eight months later. And uh, trivia tidbits here about Kid A. Do you remember, I just mentioned they were one of the first bands with a website and therefore a web fan base. That enabled them to break the normal album promo mold. They didn't do any singles. 
They didn't do music videos. They didn't do a lot of photo shoots or interviews. They pretty much leaned heavily on the internet and put out these little, what they called blips of songs with promo footage. They did animated short films. They leaked some bootleg recordings and other things like that. They snuck little teasers out online for their web fans to find, which means this album was promoted in a really revolutionary way too. You know, that's not unheard of to do today, but in 2000, that's pretty innovative. Yeah. This album was... A huge success, despite being a struggle for the band. You know, they, they had a lot of creative differences as they were kind of going through growing pains with Kid A. But it was, you know, ultimately it paid off. It was the band's first number one album in the U.S., debuted at number one in the U.K. It surpassed 207,000 copies in its first week alone. Rolling Stone ranked it at number 20 on their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Number 20 of all time. All albums ever? Yeah, but what do they know? They know a bit. I don't know. We'll see how their list compares to, you know, the artificial Spin It rankings list. Yeah. the um, Specifically mine. 53 greatest Spin It albums of all time. It'll definitely be on that. Wait, we've done 54 with the test episode. Aha, uh-huh, so it might not be. <laughs> Which album would we cut? Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And Kid A is currently certified platinum in more than six countries around the world. So, there's your background about Radiohead and Kid A. Lots of backstory there. I think Radiohead's a really interesting and unique band, and Kid A is an album that just epitomizes the transformation of their status from, like, rock band into whatever you want to call Radiohead now. Cult-following, experimental, artsy band. I don't know. I don't mean to lean too heavy into it. There's a whole subreddit called r slash Radiohead Circle Jerk, where people just just gush over Radiohead. But Interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess it's time for everyone's favorite game. It's not really a show segment game segment it's a show it's a show he puts on a show he puts on a show <laughs> you're right he does let's bring the mixtape on out here for our happy one year anniversary episode of fact or spin hey happy birthday to me you happy birthday to me cha-cha-cha happy birthday dear mixtaper happy birthday to me where's my presents and many more what um i didn't get you a present exactly what but everybody else did you didn't even come to my birthday party you had a birthday party? Yeah. You didn't invite me to your birthday party. Yes, I did. Spinny was there. The math department squirrels were there. Gopher showed up. Gopher? Like the, the gopher from Connor's Looney Tunes episode in the singles episode from Rhapsody in Blue? Yeah, yeah, he, he's kind of he's kind of become our, our pet around the apartment. You have a you and Connor have a pet gopher now. Yep. We've all just bonded so so much after that. Okay, uh, some things, you know, some things it's better not to question. Oh, came, gave me birthday presents. We had cake. Connor got this great cake. <laughs> yeah? What kind of cake did he get? Pumpkin spice, my oh, favorite. Your favorite, yeah. Well, yeah, I invented it after all. So the story goes. <laughs> anyway, um, welcome to the start of season four of Factor Spin. Hold, you know? hold on, whoa, 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 <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. whoa. This is not season four. Season four, starting off the new year. What happened to season three? Uh, It happened, it came, it went. No, no it didn't. (laughs) What? Yeah, you know, it it wasn't going too hot for me after last week's shutout, so uh, I just decided to start over. New year, new mixtape. No, this. so we were doing 25 episode seasons. Uh, Yeah, that was arbitrary to begin with. It wasn't. We, we, we kind of stuck to it for the first two seasons. I never agreed to that. That's just what you said. My game show. I guess it is. 
<laughs> so you want to start? You want season three to be Green Day and Michael Bublé? Uh, I'm not saying that's what I wanted to be. I'm just saying that's what it was. We're in season four. I don't make the rules. You just said that it was your game <laughs> show. I, I mean, yeah, but you know, that's a life of its own. I guess it does. <laughs> uh, a fun little recap of the first year and three seasons. Yeah. What What are our year one factor spin stats? <laughs> We had 2,181 and a half facts. <laughs> Did we? Oh my gosh. Yep. 2,000. That's, you know what really got us there? The episode with 1,975 yep. facts. Yep. So you probably yep. should subtract about 1,970 from your 2,181.5. Oh, well, if we were to do that, we'd have a total of 211 facts or spins in the first year and three seasons. Okay, so we've had 211 and a half facts. Very interesting. Yes, with 132 host wins and unfortunately only 79 and a half mixed paper wins. Wow, okay, so the score is 132 to 79 and a half. Yep, unfortunate. But I think that's partially my fault, all right? Because if we look at the total of facts and spins, we have 120 facts. And only 91 spins. I feel like if I step up my game with some spins, I might be able to tip the scales back in my favor. You know, I feel like I've been taking it too easy on you with some true facts. Anything's I'm, possible. I'm the mixtaper. I'm not being a big enough dastard. I guess not. You're just a, you're just a little dastard. <laughs> little baby dastard. Okay, well, well, we'll see how you get going in this season. See if you get off to a good start here. Also, hashtag New Year New Mixtaper. That's right. I'm hashtag now because I got a Twitter. That's right. I hashtag now. Wait, wait. You have a Twitter? Yeah, I just launched the Mixtaper Twitter. You know, I heard I heard through Connor and through the socials that there's a bit of a Mixtaper cult following out there. A bunch of fans eager to hear more from their favorite celebrity and supervillain, friendly neighborhood supervillain, the Mixtaper. And so you all can go follow me on Twitter. I don't remember my own handle. <laughs> at the underscore mixtaper on Twitter. Okay. And I'm sure to, to keep all my fans updated on all the weird things I do with my free time when I'm not hosting Factor Spin. Yeah, I can't wait to see what a dumpster fire that is. <laughs> anyway, that's enough, you know, that's enough business. That's enough business, yeah. Let's jump in to some factness and spinness. Let's jump right into it with a fact I never thought I'd get the chance to reuse. No, 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 no. Really? Hold on. Let me guess which fact you're about to reuse. Oh, okay. What, let me let me ask. Was it a fact the first time you used it? Yes. Yes. This was true the first time you used it, and it's true about someone else. Uh huh. So I claim. Is Radiohead a Danish albino filmmaker and rocket salesman named Bartholomew Coven? How'd you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is Radiohead banned from the San Diego Zoo? Nope. Does Radiohead have their own cheese stick recipe? Nope. I'm about to have to give up. <laughs> was Radiohead roommates with Jamie Foxx? <laughs> uh, no. Would you like a hint? Yeah, give me a hint. Well, you know, this is the first episode of year two, and so I thought I'd reuse a fact from our first episode of year one. Oh, very exciting. Our first episode of year one has two facts. One is that Billy Joel used to be a boxer. One is that Billy Joel went to war with the Catholic Church. And unless all of Radiohead used to be a boxer, or unless this fact is about one specific member of Radiohead, I guess, which is also <laughs> a very real possibility, did Radiohead go to war with the Catholic Church? You had a 50-50 shot and you failed. Dang. Tom York was a boxer. Magnificent. So when did he start boxing? He His father enrolled him while he was in boarding school was he a good boxer you know billy joel was like a like a 20 win champion he was never defeated how'd tom do uh yeah he did good 
I mean, he wasn't like undefeated Billy Joel level, but he did it up through college. Interesting. So he enjoyed it then. It wasn't just a thing his dad made him do for like eighth grade. Yeah. His father made him start it in middle school because he was getting beat up all the time. Oh, so this was like a defense thing. Yeah. And so, you know, he played it up through college where he went, you know, to the University of Exeter, is how I'm going to pronounce that. Didn't bother to look it up. You never do. Where he won... A championship. He won. Oh, he was a champion boxer then, just like Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah, I guess. How many people did he have to punch in the face to get this champion title? It was just a, it was just a school tournament. I don't know how many rounds it went. I'm going to say this is mm, tough. It was a fact last time. It's tough. I think it's going to be a fact this time. Two, two boxing facts in a row. I think I'm going to go that way. This is... A spin! Oh no, this is... Just like I predicted, more spins, more dastardly deeds from the mixtape are already off to a good start. Well, can I be honest? The fact that you said that is kind of why I started thinking it was a fact, because you were going to plant the seed that you do a lot of spins, and then and then not do it, yeah. Mmm, the mind games. Fun fact, though, about this, this is true about his father. Oh. His father was a boxer who won a college championship, and tried to get Tom interested and like signed him up in middle school, but he did nothing but get beat up the entire time he was enrolled, and so he stopped. Oh, he didn't get beat up and decide to enroll in boxing. He decided to enroll in boxing and got beat up. And then got beat up, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> a, a little nugget of truth in there. A little nugget of tease. I haven't talked about that in a while. Nope. All right, well, that first fact was a knockout. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. It's really not that funny. That's like a typical boxing joke, but... I'll take the I'll take the credit. My next fact is magical. Magical, you say? Yeah. Philip and Johnny are wizards. They're they're wizards. Yep. Magical wizards, like uh, like practicing magic. Uh, yeah, in a way. In a way. Yeah. What way? In like the movie sense. Oh, they're wizards in a movie. Yeah. Okay. Is this uh a, one of the most famous wizard movie series of all time? Are they in Harry Potter? They are in Harry Potter. Really? Okay. You went British on this fact. Well, yeah. If this is another spin, <laughs> you probably just went, hmm, they're British. Maybe I could put them in Harry Potter. <laughs> Kind of where I'm at. I also know you know nothing about Harry Potter, so it was yeah, safe. Yeah, you, you have that edge. Yeah. Okay, so they play wizards. Which wizards do they yep. play? Do they have names? Are they just background extras? They're not really extras, but they don't really have names either. Okay, interesting. They're like in that weird in-between where they're like not just like random faces in the crowd, but they're... But like decent cameos. Yeah. Uh, they're in the fourth Harry Potter movie, which is Goblet of Fire, as two of six members of the Weird Sisters, who is playing at the school Yule Ball. Are they wizards or just musicians at a wizard school? Well, it's a wizarding, it's a wizarding school that only wizards are allowed into, so they kind of have to be wizards to get into the school. Not only wizards are allowed in. Up until the most recent movie, yeah. Wait, they let not wizards in? Whoa! Sorry, yeah, spoiler. Spoilers. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> I was just thinking that Hedwig's probably not a wizard because he's an owl, right? That's Hedwig. Oh, well, yeah. So they're wizard musicians. Do they play the drums and the guitar like normal? Does he bust out the Ond Mertno, the funky theremin <laughs> instruments at the wizard school? I don't I don't I don't think there's any funky theremins in the Harry Potter movie that I'm aware of. But yes, they are playing. They're the ones providing the music for the dance. Were they invited to do this? Did they seek the gig out? 
I actually don't know how they got the gig. Bold. I think I'm going to say this is a fact because that's pretty cool. Also going with a fact? I'm on the I'm on the edge. This one could go either way since I don't know anything about Harry Potter, but it's pretty cool if it's true. This is a true fact. Hey, there we go. I'm I'm feeling good now. We're 50-50 on the episode. Yeah, but again, you see you got the one that was true, right? That's true. Do they do they get to cast any spells? No, not that I remember. It's just implied that they're wizards. Okay. Tough luck. Radiohead does Hogwarts. Who knew? For my next ramp up, Tom's pet goldfish had a bad Christmas. Okay, let's take this fact one piece at a time. Yeah. Tom York has a pet goldfish. Yeah, him and his multiple. Now he's using oh, the plural goldfish. Sorry. I thought it was just like one goldfish that he just disappointed this Christmas. <laughs> It was a naughty goldfish. No, no, he disappointed a whole school of goldfish. Oh, that's so mean. You know, they don't even remember what they did wrong three seconds later. <laughs> He's got a lot of goldfish. Oh, he did. Uh, did, <laughs> did they make it to Boxing Day? Uh, no. Oh, they really did have a bad Christmas. What, what killed all of his goldfish on Christmas? They suffocated. What? He took him out of the water. What happened? The tank fall over? I mean, how did we get here? So in 1996, he and his girlfriend at the time had a bunch of exotic goldfish because she was allergic to hair. Mm. But that was like the only pets they could have. And they had them in a nice big pond in their backyard. Okay. Okay. A pond. Right. Yep. Oh, no. Did it? Did it freeze? Uh, yeah. That Christmas, Tom was home alone and the pond froze. And he, so when a pond freezes, all you have to do to keep your fishies alive, you know, only the top freezes, right? Sure. Is cut a hole in the ice so that the water can still oxygen, you know, get oxygenated, oxygenated, oxygenated. <laughs> boy, oh boy. He forgot to do that. <laughs> and mm. so, you know, the fish used up all the oxygen in the water and suffocated. How many fish are we talking about? A pretty darn decent amount. A pretty darn decent amount. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an exact number for you. That's a bad fish, miss. <laughs> and, like, these were exotic goldfish, like the big exotic ones, like you see in, like, I know you see koi in koi ponds, but, you know, those, that, those size goldfish, like big ones. Like giant. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. What's what's the reaction? Tom's home alone. Tom goes out <laughs> back on Christmas morning and uh, goes to say hi to the goldfish, see what presents Santa bought him. <laughs> and, and he looks down and he says, oh, crap. Uh, his girlfriend gets home. What, what what happens? How does this go down? Yeah, he says that he felt like such an idiot and that he's always been known to be a bit forgetful. So he's not surprised it happened, but he does feel bad. I'm going to say this one's a spin. A spin? Yeah, this one's belly up for me. You don't... You... <laughs> You're good with the puns tonight. I've had a year of practice. <laughs> well, you had a year of practice, yet you're still getting them wrong. This is a fact. Oh, no. I, I guess I just didn't want to believe that many poor fish died. Yep. Bad Christmas. <laughs> it was a silent night at the end of the day. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I made it so much worse. <laughs> Nobody's under the fishel toe. All right, and I got one more for you. Tom's pet goldfish had a bad Christmas. What an understatement <laughs> on that fact. I didn't know how else to phrase it. And it was on Christmas, right? Like, actually on Christmas. Uh, yeah, that's what, he, that's what the interview said. Tragic. One more for you. Classic four. One year of classic fours. One year of classic fours with a classic ramp up. It's time for the return. Don't. It's not Ryan the ghost. It's not Ryan the ghost. Thank <laughs> no, goodness. I knew it. he's still dormant. It's time for the return of our other supposedly true or known true fact, but Wait, supposed about. The hat. The hat. The hat. 
It is Tom York once lost his seat on a plane to a hat. <laughs> I love this. This is this was such a weird. If you want the original version of this fact, check out our episode on Gabrielle Applin. I loved this fact when you told it to me the first time, and I forgot about it. Honestly, it's been yeah. such a long what dozen episodes. Okay, so he lost his seat on a plane to a hat. Yeah. And and where was he flying to and from? What's the destination? From Oxford to Portugal. Oh, okay. So a decent flight. How much was a ticket for him and therefore for the hat? Oh, I don't know. Oh. I, I guess I could look up what a flight from Oxford to Portugal costs. But... Well, that, whatever. That is, uh, my point is someone spent too much money on a, on a hat seat. Oh, yeah, they did. How can you say that with such certainty if you don't know what the, <laughs> what the seat costs? Because <laughs> I understand concept of airfare and how much it relatively goes for. Sure. Did the hat check a bag? Maybe the hat uh, got a free bag check, and so it was worth it to buy the seat. I don't know. Okay, so what kind of hat was it? Ball cap, top hat, fedora, detective hat, beret, bald cap, tricorn hat. <laughs> bald cap? I don't know. I just want, honestly, I just want to say here that you keep naming types of hats. A snapback, a toboggan. It was two flat caps and a fedora. Oh, oh, he lost his plane seat to three hats. Well, no, he lost his to one. No, stop, stop. So, <laughs> so somebody bought three three seats that's what i'm telling you no way way. somebody bought three seats on a plane for three hats and two of them are flat you can put two of them on the you can put all three of them on the same seat now you understand why i can say with such certainty that they overpaid for this i can't wrap my head around how this even happens what flight attendant lets this happen i mean come on can't your hat sit somewhere else also, if he lost a seat, is this a plane where you, you pick your seat beforehand and they like double booked Tom's seat with a hat? This this one baffles me. <laughs> so, yes, you you, were, you basically said it. He booked his flight, right? And then he was told that his seat had been accidentally overbooked and he was upgraded to first class. Oh, he got upgraded. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I, I think when we told the fact the first time, Gabrielle Applin got downgraded and had to like take a gift <laughs> basket <laughs> instead of this hat. So at least he got a nicer flight. Yeah. Did he enjoy the experience? What does he have to say about this? This is obviously a ridiculous occurrence. Yeah, he says he got up during the flight to use the restroom and stretch his legs, and he noticed the set of three hats where he was supposed to, suppo- supposed to sit and stopped and asked the flight attendant about them, to which she just told him that somebody had purchased the three tickets to get the hats flown out down to them, over to them. Where's Portugal in relation to Oxford? Anyway. So, wait, 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 wait. So the person bringing these hats wasn't even accompanying them? It's like someone else, like a flight attendant, somebody brought these hats on the plane and set them in seats? Yeah. And then said, no, you can't touch those. Those are somebody else's. Who on earth, do we know whose hats they were? No. Although I do love your theory that maybe they used it so they could like also bring other stuff like as carry-ons and the hats were just the placeholder to get bigger stuff onto the plane. Yeah. I do like that theory. It makes it make way more sense. But that's all the information we have about it. Unbelievable. I think this is it's convenient that you bring this fact back on the one-year episode. However, Radiohead's been a band that was in our sights for a while, since before Gabrielle Applin. So if you wanted facts that could go for both, you could have found them. I think I'm going to say this is true. I want the hat fact to be true. It's definitely true about someone. I think it's true about Tom York. I'm locking in fact. But it's not true about Tom York. This is a spin. (laughs) Gross. Just like every Avenger at the end of their movie, the plane hat will return. So which elements of this were false specific for this fact? 
were there actually three or was that like no that was made up just i i i went for over the top ridiculousness again to be like oh well so ridiculous he wouldn't make that up sort of thing it was ridiculous and so the only part of this that was true to the original fact is that someone lost their seat to a hat everything else we just can't even trust correct and with that, the first episode of season four and year two of Spin It, Factor Spin, goes to the mixtaper in a 3-1 victory. That was a pretty bad round for me. I'm, I'm a little disappointed, but good work. Made up for last week when I got shut out by Connor. Yeah, you, you, you brought some good facts last week. I was pretty impressed with you. I think you've never been better. Sure you were. I'm sure you think that. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Go, go tweet about it, I guess. <laughs> go tweet about your victory. Yeah, I'm going to go make a tweet right now. It says, season four champ. No, no. <laughs> we are not. We are not allowed to start season five on episode. Season, see, you, see you next week when we start season five. No. <laughs> Factor spin. You can't just make a new season every time you win. Oh. Yeah. There goes the mixtaper. Welcome back. Welcome back once again, Connor. Hey, first season we've ever lost. No, it's don't don't give in. <laughs> don't give in. We're not done. He's already he's tweeting it right now. I can see him. That doesn't make it official. Game show has a mind of its own, so I'm told. That's <laughs> what they say. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the album cover of Kid A. Very uh interesting. <laughs> is it? Do you think what what makes it so interesting? It's kind of hard to tell what it is. Is it? Yeah. Where do you struggle? It's a mountain range, right? Some volcanoes. Is it a mountain range? Yeah. I can't tell if it was that or if it was, like, glaciers. Well, I mean, snowy glaciers, maybe. So, but then, like you said, there's, like, the one that was, like, a volcano erupting in the background or something on fire in the background. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's very dystopian. And then there's, like, trees in the background, but they kind of suck as trees, in my opinion. Trees? I don't know. In the very far back. The very oh, way back, far in the back. back right, black silhouetted. I see. Crappy trees. And then some weird red blob right in the middle in the far background. Not quite sure what that's supposed to be. I was thinking that was the sun. The sun? Yeah, it's like a sunset behind the mountains. But it's like not round. It's round from what you like, what you can see of it. It's just peeking out there. Well, you can see that little bit dead middle, but then, but you see it goes like, unless the sun is not centered on the picture, it's not the sun. No, it wouldn't be centered. Well, why not? You'd think it would be centered. No. <laughs> this piece of art that you apparently... Did not like. Also, what's with the weird, um, with the weird glitchiness happening in the foreground at the bottom? Well, so, yeah, Radiohead has some interesting other album covers that, that kind of are multimedia. And this one is no exception. Stanley Donwood is the mastermind behind Radiohead's cover art. He's got some great work under his belt. And so the band, they brought him Kid A, and he started coming up with these themes he wanted to incorporate. He said, the overarching idea of the mountains was that they were these landscapes of power, the idea of tower blocks and pyramids. It was about some sort of cataclysmic power existing in landscape. So he comes up with this idea of mountains and fire and stuff. He says, how are we going to do this? How do we execute? So he gets a big canvas and he paints this scene using knives and sticks. And then he takes a picture of his painting and puts it in Photoshop and starts to manipulate it that way. It's very multimedia, but that's why it gets... That glitchiness in the front, that's, you know, the paintings, the mountains look the way they do because they're painted on with sticks and in a very abrasive way. But then the glitchiness in the front of it, in the foreground, that comes from digital photo manipulation. And it's nothing new. Like, uh, on their album cover for The Bends, they took a picture of a TV screen with a CPR dummy on it. And it's this strange uncanniness, this kind of eerie sense of, of not being quite sure what you're looking at. 
I like it as a cover for this album. It exists as a cover for this album. Okay, well, that's a review right there, I guess. Without further ado, I, I suppose we should start talking about this album, which, in my opinion, you know, to talk about how this album cover was, was painted and stuff, this album almost feels to me like listening to a painting. That's kind of the same energy it has. It's, it's not something you're going to rock out to or, you know, you're not going to engage with it in the same way you'd engage with American Idiot or Crazy Love or, you know, or as Hearts music or Weezer. Or, I guess as most other types of music. Yeah, you, you definitely have to approach this one differently. It's definitely different. <sighs> <laughs> I'm starting to get a sense. You know, I mentioned that I wasn't sure whether you'd love it or hate it, and parts of it kind of appeal to different parts of things that you like, but parts don't. I'm starting to get the sense of where you lie. Yeah, I haven't said one yeah, way or the other whether or not I like it or not. I just said it's different. No, it is, yeah, yeah, but we'll press onward. <laughs> Track one is Everything in Its Right Place. I like the intro. So, cool intro. Oh, I know. That little, like, muted keyboard mm -hmm. just fills that space so well tom york is working on getting out of his writer's block he's battling pretty intense depression trying to make sense of the world he's trying to figure out life and determine where he fits into it which is where he came up with the idea of having everything in its right place specifically he came up with the song based on his feelings after a nervous breakdown while they were touring okay computer so lines that are in this song that might be a little bizarre like yesterday I woke up sucking a lemon and there are two colors in my head. Those are drawn straight from his experience in that actual moment. Yeah, I was up I was with it up until that point. Really? Up until sucking on well, a lemon. Well, you know, they they were doing the uh everything, everything, you know, repeating the word everything, and I was like, Alright, whatever, it's a stylistic thing. I'm 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 alright with it for now. Then they started just repeating it in its right place over and over, and I was like, Alright, is it gonna be one of those songs or is this just like what the chorus is? And then we'll get we'll actually get into the song. And then we repeated I can only hear the phrase yesterday I woke up sucking on a lemon so many times before I'm just done with it. I think the limit's probably about two. Two? That's the limit? Yeah. Wow, you're not a very big lemon sucker. No, I'm not. And yeah, that's what they did with the whole song, is just repeat the, the line, every line like four times. Yes. Well, they put every line in its right place. Well, in its right place multiple times, apparently. Yeah. Interesting little tidbit, though. The vocals at the beginning are actually just cut up gibberish. It's not really meant to be anything. Although, I can't help but think that it's intentional, that you can hear it say, Kid A, Kid A, Kid A, in the beginning. That has to be there on purpose. It's gotta be. I know, but the band, they say it's not. They can say whatever they want. You don't name an album Kid A and then have something kick off your album sounding like the words Kid A and not be intentional. Well, maybe they meant for it to sound like that, but that's not what it originally was, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I like this song as an album opener. It does a great job, I think, of setting the scene, of really opening you into this world. It prepares you for what's to come. Yes. There are two colors in my head. What's that you tried to say? We're just kind of in a daze, right? We're just not focused on what's going on around. Just everything, 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 everything in its right place. And that leads straight into track two, which is actually the title track, Kid A. Radiohead has actually never explained what Kid A means. They've never said. I just I just want to know where Kid B, C, D, and E are. What's the rest of the alphabet, kids? Great question. Maybe they're coming. People have theorized that Kid A might be kind of an allegory for being patient zero for a cloning experiment. 
something like that. You know, you got Kid A is like, well, Kid A would be like the first clone. Why is it got to be cloning? Why can't it just be like anything where you're trying to like number like patients or groups of people? Like, like why that? Yeah, where'd the cloning come into this? I don't know. Maybe it's got something to do with Alpha and and genetics and uh, it beats me i don't know if that explanation really holds up for me and i don't think we'll ever get anything from the band on it tom actually says that he likes the quote-unquote non-meaning of the phrase kid a i really like this the like music box melody at the beginning oh isn't it just so floaty yeah and kind of transportive but i did not like the singing at all <laughs> <laughs> very great well so the singing on this one it's very off this is because, you know, you're not really meant to focus on the lyrics very much and more on the sound of it, this just kind of wash of sound. These lyrics here, they were written, you know, Tom wrote a bunch of lyrics all at the same time, a bunch of phrases, and he literally put them in a hat and picked out a bunch of different lyrics out of the hat and put them in this order. So, like, yeah, he's got things that he wants to say, but I don't think he structured it in a way that that's the focal point. It's like free-form poetry. Yeah, a little bit. These lyrics and these vocals are some of the ones in particular that he sang into the on Martineau, into the theremin-type instrument, which is what makes it so wobbly. Like, all distorted. He said singing that way actually made it easier to focus on the words as he was singing because the melody was either covered by the theremin. I'm going to call it a theremin, even though it's not. It's covered by that instrument, or it's pretty unimportant. It, like I like this concept of, here's a bunch of phrases that I like. Let's just draw them out of a hat randomly and put them together into a song. But like if yeah. you had all these phrases in a hat, like why do you have to repeat yourself 50 million times? You know, like pull more phrases to fill the space, you know? <laughs> pull more phrases? Yeah. You didn't need to say standing in the shadows at the end of my bed four times. You know, you pulled it out. What did you do? Run out of phrases in the hat? Like, oh, guess I got to use this one for the next four. Or were they doing the thing? Maybe they were doing the thing. Uh, you know, there's two different sampling techniques, right? Where you take it, when you select it, you set it to the side or you put it back in. Maybe you put it back in and you're having to draw it four times in a row. Maybe that's what happened. In which case, I'm now okay with it. But assuming that didn't happen, poor choice. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that's what happened, even though I don't know. And I suspect that's not the case, (laughs) just so you'll be okay with it. I love the the line. We've got heads on sticks and you've got ventriloquists. Yeah. And like, what's the odds that he pulled that those two out of the hat next to one another? I'm real skeptical of this story. That was no, I think that was one phrase. Mm. Like both of those went together into the line. It just feels something about heads on sticks, just as violent and terrible. But then you've got ventriloquists like that calls to mind being controlled by a puppeteer and you're so like docile that you don't even have control over your I don't know. That that dichotomy is really awesome. And I love that little Pied Piper bit at the end with the rats and the children following you out of town. Mm-hmm. Just uh it's kind of it's not a nonsense song, but it's cobbled together in a way that It's a very cool stylistic piece. Yes. But as a song, I did not care for it. Right. And again, it's like listening to a painting. It's it's not it's an experience you gotta just like sift through instead of a song you're gonna just rock out to. Uh, I don't even need to rock out to a song. I just need it to be a song. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, if there is a song on this album that you're going to rock out to right off the bat, it's probably track three, the national anthem. Yeah. I like that guitar line on this one. It kicks in with the bass right away. Right away. Yeah, but by the halfway point, I'm just tired of it. They never do anything with it. It's just five minutes of, or whatever it is, however long the song is. It's, it's five minutes, 50 seconds. It's just six minutes of that guitar line over and over and over. It's like, do something different. <laughs> build or something. It does build. It's got a lot of horns and, 
and other cacophony. I'm talking specifically about the guitar. The guitar just plucks out that same oh. thing over and over and over and never goes anywhere. And so it gets stale. But no, the horns are the best part. Right. When, the, when that, I want to say it was a bassoon that comes in first before the horns do. Or, mute, or, or it was either that or a very muted and out of tune horn, which is equally as likely because most of those horns were out of tune. <laughs> they were just blaring random notes and and weird pitches. And <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it really something? I was um the friend that introduced me to Radiohead talked about one time he was driving in his car with the windows down, just listening to this song. And he got to the end part and he looked over and he was like next to somebody with with all these horns just blaring absolute noise. And they just gave him this look and then drove off. It's good. It is good. Tom York wrote that bass line that you wish did more when he was just 16 years old. And the band actually tried to record this song two separate times in the 90s, but... So you're saying he had plenty of time to work on it and make it go somewhere. It, I think this is worked on. I think this is a great song. I'm talking. I'm not talking about the song. I'm talking about the guitar line. Oh, well, it, it, it's a great guitar line. They thought that the song was too good to be one of their B-sides in the 90s. And at that time, it had a working title just based on that first round of lyrics. Everyone was the title. The recorded lyrics, actually, what you heard are ambiguous a lot of the time, but diligent fans have actually put the real lyrics together based on live performances. Huh. Yeah, and that's the case other places on this record, too. But they've gone back and scoured Tom York singing live to figure out the right lyrics. Yeah, I'm starting to sound as repetitive as these lyrics are with how much I have to keep pointing it out, but Uh quite repetitive lyrics again. It's true, a little bit. Everyone's near, everyone's got fear, it's holding on, smile. That's, that's it that's the song that's the song it's light but it's evocative you know it's it's more it's like the inner wave thing right where the combination of the lyrics and the style of the music it just points you in a direction and lets your mind wander uh, maybe i'm misremembering inner waves album it's been a while since i've heard anything but the two that are on our playlist but like i don't remember their lyrics being just repetitive they were long drawn out the way they sung them and the words they chose to use i agree with match very similarly here but like they used a bunch of different words and images images and evocations whereas here they just say the same line four times and say boom feel evoked feel evoked yeah well i mean yeah you're not wrong we come out of the closest thing to a rock song you'll get on this album into the farthest thing you might get from a rock song on this album that you might still call a song that's how to disappear completely This song was born out of a dream of Tom floating around the city like a ghost. And I think that idea translates into this song very, very well, especially in just the sound of it. You know, you're you're floating around, you're falling, you're you're really not there. They do a good job of uh, making that sound happen. I really like this one. It had a good start. This is maybe the first time we got the purest form of... Tom's singing voice, which it was actually quite pretty. Yeah, it is. Especially the way he sings to the bridge on this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I really liked this song. The The chorus is a bit repetitive with the I'm not here, but that's again, I'm okay with, with that to an extent, right? Because stylistically, it makes sense sometimes to repeat things, but, and, but he fills it with a bunch of other real verses and a, a really power, I really again, I really like the bridge. Strobe lights and blown speakers, fireworks and hurricanes. Yeah, it is really good. A lot of the ideas for that chorus came from Michael Stipe of R.E.M. Yeah, did he have the idea to say, and I'm not here, and since that's three of the four lines, that was a lot of the chorus. I mean, he did give him the whole chorus. Tom York says he was feeling overwhelmed with touring and stuff, and, and Stipe tells him, pull the shutters down and just keep repeating to yourself, I'm not here, this isn't happening. And that clearly made an impression on him. 
The title for the song, though, came from a book, How to Disappear Completely and Never Be Found by Doug Richmond. And that book is based on the concept of assuming a new identity by stealing it from a dead person. Interesting. Funny stuff. I, I know. It's, uh, it's a weird combination of influences that produces this really memorable moment on the album. Tom York actually calls this song the most beautiful thing we ever did. And I feel like that's pretty right. It's a standout for their whole catalog. It's a great centerpiece for this album. Up next, of course, maybe uh, referencing those sucky trees on the album cover that you talked about, is our first instrumental on the album and the first instrumental in Radiohead's history, Tree Fingers. They do look like fingers. The trees, they do look like fingers? <laughs> I don't I don't know about that. I, I, it's a very melancholy, soft instrumental, and I like it. Yeah. It's great. It's great. It's a it's a nice vehicle to take us out of the floaty, depressed, dissociative, how to disappear completely, and drag us into optimistic, which has a drastically different tone that we'll get to. But uh, yeah, did you think this bridged the gap very well? No, no. I, I was I was sitting here with a surprised Pikachu face when you said that. I felt Tree Fingers was more of an extension of how to disappear completely than a bridge. What is a bridge but an extension of the land? <laughs> Yeah, but it was just making How to Disappear Completely Bigger wasn't connecting to Optimistic in the way that you made it sound. That's true. It doesn't really connect. It expands upon that sad, melancholy feeling that How to Disappear Completely instills in you, which in my opinion sets you up for the whiplash of Optimistic. Like it, like, uh, okay. It kind of really cements the tone of How to Disappear Completely inside you. And then, you know, Optimistic comes along and kicks you out of your chair or whatever. Get the strap out you know you strap in or, or optimistic's okay, gonna take right. you out <laughs> it's a reference a reference to barry manilow being aggressively violent in the way he treats your heart strap in because you're about to get you're about to get optimistic, optimistic. <laughs> right once again also we have no idea what's up with the title tree fingers the band has never said people have speculated that it's meant to evoke being peacefully lost in the woods kind of for forgetting your troubles in the calmness to me a tree's fingers would be its its little sticks right the little sticks that come off of, you got like the tree trunk right the branches are like the arms and you get the little like twigs oh. that come off of each branch and that's your tree fingers right there so what are leaves just i'm pursuing this metaphor too far uh, the, the 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 nails because they change colors you know throughout the seasons just like I'm sorry I'm sorry what are you, are you your nails okay you can paint your fingernails different colors you know we're gonna get you a manicure <laughs> you're right you can paint your fingernails right exactly different bit. colors the metaphor it's not one-to-one -one. No. it's not a one-to-one -one analogy here <laughs> no it's not i like tree fingers a lot but are you ready to get kicked uh yeah give me some optimism right well optimistic the sixth track on the album is as close to a radio single as this album gets really it's all about consumerism after it's come to this almost dystopian point and ironically i don't really think it ever gets optimistic no. it's kind of no. a grim <laughs> acceptance at best that's why it's kicking you <laughs> oh yeah you expect to be optimistic and you just not optimism comes and drop kicks you right so this one i really like the verses but i just i couldn't get into the chorus you couldn't? No. Did you try the best you can? I I at least tried 90%. 
I, don't, I, I oh, can't promise well, a full one. I can't promise a full one hundred. Well, you have to try the best you can, and that will be good enough. But if ninety percent was the best I could do, maybe I can't reach a hundred. Maybe you can't. I don't know. It's kind of sad. That is kind of sad. Not very. Not very optimistic at all. I can't just say the word optimistic <laughs> over and over. You're right. The chorus is a little weaker. Tom's partner Rachel used this phrase to comfort him on the OK Computer tour. It's not even that it's weaker. It's I just couldn't get into the style shift between the verses and the chorus. I just enjoyed the verses so much that then when the style shift. To the chorus. I just couldn't get into it. That's true. The ver- I do think the verses, though, are stronger. Like, the big yeah. fish eat mm-hmm. the little ones. Yep, great. The big players are dominating everything. You think he wrote this around the time his goldfish uh, had a bad Christmas? His goldfish died all in the pond. Had a bad Christmas? Maybe. I don't know. I guess it's possible. <laughs> and I also, I love in verse two, we have allusions to the three little piggies, to yeah. the animal farm, which is all about, like, an actual dystopian society rising up. Yep. With pigs being With the, pigs. the main. Yeah, yeah it, all, it all works together. I like it. Yeah, some animals are more equal than others. It was a very cool way to use the, the title optimistic, right? This one's optimistic. This one went to market. Like, <laughs> it was yes. just, it was not how I expected the title to be used. No, that may be the strongest set of lyrics on the album or close to it. That second verse. It's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. I also, I love that bridge. I'd really like to help you, man. They bring back up the idea of marionettes. Like they were talking about ventriloquists yeah. and heads on sticks earlier. You're putting pieces together. And they're gonna, they're gonna be in limbo. They're going to be in limbo. (laughs) Yeah. That is the next track on the album. It was originally called Lost at Sea. Interesting. And it's another very ethereal, alone type song. Rachel Owen, Tom's partner, was really big into Dante's Inferno at the time. And he drew a lot of inspiration from that. Limbo is the first of several rings in Dante's version of Hell. Yeah. And so that mumble bit at the beginning, Tom York recorded the vocals and tried to make them sound like voices trying to get out of limbo get out of hell to break free and instead he made it sound like someone who can't project can't project it did not come across that it was supposed to be like voices trying to get out it just sounded like he was talking and like with his lips up against the microphone and whispering i mean i i suppose it is a little whispery whatever he was going for did not come across to me a first time listener at all it starts with this list of places that's the, the mumbling part here This list of places comes from the BBC shipping forecast, which is basically a weather report for different areas around the UK, but... I guess, from what I understand, the way that they read it is really monotonous and calming or something. People like it for that, almost like an ASMR kind of thing. People will turn on the shipping forecast and listen. Lyrically, In Limbo kind of hit Tom a little differently than most of the rest of the songs. He said that he wasn't in writer's block for this one. He said words are coming out like diarrhea, but they were all awful. And uh, he lost all confidence in his lyric writing ability and just kind of threw these out there. This is this is lyrical diarrhea from Tom York. In his own words, not mine. Interesting. Yeah. Should have just taken them and put them in a hat and start pulling them out. Don't put your diarrhea in a hat. Diarrhea hat. Gross. <laughs> a real crappy hat. It sure is. Available now. No, no, <laughs> no, no. But there are some pretty cool hats available now. They're not diarrhea hats. <laughs> Poop-free hats. <laughs> Poop-free hats. Available now. Spin it. store. <laughs> Up next on the track list is track eight, Idiotech. Great title. Maybe the best title on this album. Is- it's a cool title. Yeah, it's kind of a play on discotech, but maybe the tech is meant to be the suffix that refers to a collection of things. Maybe a collection of idiots. I don't know. I don't even know. I just know there's a lot of potential there. Good stuff. It is indeed stuff. The song is basically about some kind of apocalypse, maybe as depicted on the album cover. It explores ideas of nuclear holocaust and the consequences of climate change as we're we're kind of panicking here. We start out right away with being in the bunk 
bunker, women and children first. It's frantic. And the drums actually on this song are really what contribute a lot to that frantic style to me. They just feel very fast-paced. I don't have anything to say about this one. <laughs> no? Well, what I can say is they sampled some of the background music in this song from minimalist composers Paul Lansky and Arthur Krieger. Oh, I, I love Paul Lansky. Yeah, isn't he great? I've never heard of him. <laughs> I know. And they fleshed out the rest of the song with really obscure but effective electronic sounds. I think this song in particular may be the biggest leap from what they've been comfortable with music-wise to this point. I don't know. That electronic synth that just kind of oozes in there. I just like it. I, I don't know. We're not scaremongering. This is really happening. Intense. It's an intense lyric and an intense feel to the song, but uh, we, we do get a little bit of a break from that intensity on track nine, Morning Bell. Ding, ding. Ah, I heard it. Did you, audience? Did you hear the morning bell? Oh, no, sorry. That was the uh, evening bell. Oh, whoops. I get them mixed up. They're so similar. Yeah. The morning bell goes ding, ding. Oh. Way different. Actually, very distinct. The afternoon bell just goes dong. Cool. I'll keep an ear out. All together, it's ding, ding, dong, ding, ding. Like the red hot chili peppers? <laughs> Like around the world? I guess. <laughs> I thought that's what you were doing. No. You made this sound. It was exactly like that verse. <laughs> I wasn't doing that, but we can claim I was. Make me sound smarter than I am. Uh-huh. Well, that was a really involved joke that wasn't a joke at all. Good job. So, Morning Bell exists here, but it was also reworked into a track on Amnesiac, so there are a couple different Morning Bells out there. Mm, yeah. This song isn't about divorce, as much as it might sound like that. Skeptical. And like everything Radiohead does, it's largely open to interpretation, so maybe that's what it means to some of you, and that's cool. Tom says it's about a house he bought, a big, empty house. Mm. And actually, I was surprised that you didn't bring the Ryan the Ghost fact back, because he does say that the house had a friendly ghost in it i almost expected the fact when i started thinking about this song is that why you originally thought when i said i was bringing one back you thought it was gonna be ryan i could have sworn it was ryan the ghost but anyway tom writes down and records a ton of stuff while he's living in this house ramblings fragments of songs you name it onto this mini disc morning bell was among the things he recorded but suddenly boom lightning strike it wiped everything on the mini disc and six months later, while he was on a flight doing that airplane, like, half-sleep kind of thing, boom, like, he just instantly remembers the words and the music to Morning Bell perfectly. Kind of freaky. Like a literal bolt out of the blue. How does he know that they were perfect? I don't know how he knows they were perfect, because it does seem to me like... He has no proof. That would be a thing you would not remember. <laughs> yeah, he's got no proof. However, that's where this song comes from. Living alone in a big empty house. With Ryan the Ghost. It's possible. Who knows? That would make a good movie. Make a, no, 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 no. That would make a good motion picture soundtrack. Right. Motion picture soundtrack is uh, it's almost the closing track on this album. And if you're listening to it in a physical format, you might not know the last track's coming, but we'll get there. They wrote motion picture soundtrack on the very same day as Creep, their biggest initial hit. And it's a good one. I like that organ music start. Yeah, it's great. And it's just another satisfyingly melancholy song. It, it revels in it. You know, it doesn't try and take you to a certain place. It just is what it is. Another lyrical highlight, the verses are standout for me. Red wine and sleeping pills help me get back to your arms. Mm. There's some good lines in the verses. Yeah, I know. It's not like the movies. It's ironic to put a line that goes, it's not like the movies in a song called Motion Picture Soundtrack. And actually, the song also has a secret third verse, which you can find if you dig around Radiohead's bonus tracks and re-releases. You might encounter that one. And they also 
as they often do with a lot of their songs. They played this live a long, long time before release. Interesting. Yeah, Tom and the band, they write all their songs a long time in advance. Like we talked about, even something like National Anthem was around for a decade, yeah. you know, before it got out onto an album. So it's just interesting to hear, you know, you, you never know what you hear at a Radiohead concert or when it will be released, if ever. You might see it in the next life. It might forever remain untitled. <laughs> it might. Untitled is the last track on the album. Barely a track. Barely a track, yes. It's again a hidden track on the original release and certain versions. There's a whole entire minute of silence between motion picture soundtrack and this, as well as a minute of silence afterwards, too. Oh. Uh, I, I don't have many opinions on Untitled. It's a really good conceptual end to the album. It, I mean, that haunting, kind of ambient sound it has really brings it to a close. Yes. I don't know if there was a minute of dead space between it how if i would have felt that way but with it going right from one to the other it worked that way yeah no i I agree with that it's not an this is an album that needs a chaser you can't just hard stop after any of these tracks i don't think so untitled this is a good way to maybe cleanse your palate after you've been on such a wild journey well i think it's time to wrap that journey up with some final spin that is correct it is time for final spin i think it's no secret that i like a lot of things about this album it's so different than anything else that we've talked about on the podcast so far to the point like i said you almost have to approach it's it. very unique yeah you have to approach it in a different way than most music i think you can't just come at it cold on car radio shuffle you know mm-hmm. this is the kind of album that often makes me think how the heck do you sit down and write an album like this how do you conceptualize this is what you want it to sound like apparently you just write down a bunch of phrases and put them in a diarrhea hat okay well that was just one or two songs there (laughs) either way i think the effect is kind of astounding musically this album just wraps you up and keeps you on your toes from end to end there's not a lot of melody on it which is bizarre you know they kind of forsake melody very intentionally and that forces them to do interesting things with the rest of their music i i like the music a lot uh every song is distinct and every song is emotional i'm giving music a 99 Lyrics is tricky. Like you said, there's a lot of repetitive lyrics in here. There's just no secret. They don't hide it. They don't camouflage it. Two of the songs are instrumentals, but I think there's some real gems. And the simplicity of the lyrics, paired with the complexity of the images, kind of takes this album to a different level. You know, mix it in with the music, the lyrics kind of do all right on their own. I don't know if they hold up just reading them line to line, especially in their pulled out of a hat style, but conceptually, like you said, that's a novelty. It's it's a unique flavor for this album. So I maybe could be swayed on lyrics one way or another i'm giving them a 95 instruments and production what's there to say i mean the production is stellar throughout and the instruments are right there with it they use some really unique instruments they use instruments in unique ways the production on his voice i have to disagree with what you said on kid a and stuff i really like the way that they treat his voice and mix it up and do it differently but then of course there are still moments like how to disappear completely where you get his unfiltered voice and It's very beautiful. I think instruments of production, honestly, perfect 100. Impossible. Oh, it's possible. It's just not common. It's not not a thing I give lightly. And you used it on this one. But I, I really think this album couldn't get much better in the instruments of production department. And the vibe. This is maybe the most complete vibe score an album could earn. I don't think there's a single second of it that is anything less than perfectly aligned with it. And I like the cover art, you know? I think that's captivating. I think it makes you think. I think it fits all these tracks and the the moods that they try and put together. I've never had a problem listening to this album cover to cover, even though it's weird sometimes and even though it's long. Maybe it's an acquired taste, but once you acquire the taste, boy, is it good. 
given Vibe a 100, and that puts the overall score at a 99.1. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have some disagreements on this one. I'm prepared. I'm not as passionate about the. You just, you blindsided me with Dark Side of the Moon way back in the day. Yeah. That was one I was more passionate about. I feel like I can understand if you don't like this one more than I can understand you not liking maybe Dark Side or some of the other ones that I like. Either way, Kid A goes at slot number three for me. It's a tough one to beat. The number three album on your list as of this recording. Yeah, I thought we'd start year two off with a biggie. How about you? For me, let's just knock my, let's just knock my top three out of the way real fast and then we'll get into it please do in album order we're starting off with honorable mention going to the national anthem nice and then top threes are how to disappear completely tree finger and motion pictures soundtrack i'm not surprised well what have you surprised you those all seem very you i would have been surprised if you had taken kid a idiotech those would be the biggest surprises, Kid A and Idiotech. Yeah, for me, uh, I was listening to you give your your opinions. You know, you do your different categories things. I typically don't do that, but I had some notes based off of what you said. Okay. In my opinion, music, I agreed. Very, it was very catchy. It was they had some great rhythms and stuff. But as I pointed out a couple times, they almost never went anywhere with them or did anything with them. So they would just get old and stale by the end of their five six minute long songs. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they did some fun layering stuff. But yeah, for the most part it just existed i called it shallow was the word i used it you know they never went anywhere deep with it wow even even on the track formerly known as lost at sea <laughs> yeah it was a very shallow sea more of a pond puddle maybe even Lo- lost at pond Lo- lost in a puddle <laughs> lyrics very repetitive as you know and other than i really do disagree you said there were some real gems yeah two or three lines but otherwise none of their lyrics were really that deep to me like they all felt like like they had these big lofty ideas right for their songs that really touch on loss and heartbreak and just all these other like big ideas but then with their lyrics they only ever went shallow deep with them right it was just again it was very shallow they they it was almost every line could have been felt like it was pulled out of a hat randomly you know except for two or three instruments in production you said what's there to say i have a lot to say uh (laughs) (laughs) to me it's instruments i really like the instruments Instrumental choices, the chaotic cacophony of horns, great. They, like I said, they had some great guitar runs and the organ stuff on uh, motion picture soundtrack. I quite enjoyed the instruments on this. But from a production standpoint, it's very consistent in how it's c- constructed and what they've done with it. But and it goes back to what you said, how this isn't meant to be consumed like typical music, right? And so it's like looking at this as an album of songs that you would listen to when you're like, I want to listen to music. This is is not produced at like the same caliber as like a um we were, we were talking about like Michael Jackson's Thriller or Stevie Wonder's uh, Songs in the Key of Life you know like those are standout production like every choice made on every song had big impactful moments and while this does too it's not like it's, it's different because they were trying to just set a mood not write songs that people were gonna listen to like it's almost they're almost using it more like slam poetry almost you know you know they're like slam poetry yeah. is weird poetry poetry it's hard to get into there's a lot of snapping i never understood it but it exists for the people who are into it and it's very therapeutic for the people who do do it so like it has its purpose Uh but not the same purpose as everything else that it is surrounded by no and that's kind of why it's 
art rock more than just normal like rock. It's very experimental and out there. Yeah, and then and then vibe again, very consistent vibe. None of the songs really felt out of place. Um, none of the themes felt out of place. It sets you in this mood and it keeps you there. But it's not what you want when you're listening to music, in my opinion, right? Like if I'm like I want to listen to music, Radiohead's Creep, right? It's a sad, melancholy song that fits Radiohead style, but it also works as a song. Whereas a lot of these were concept pieces. Yep. And so it was very different. And I know how you feel about concept pieces. I love them. He's the concept <laughs> album king. I'm the concept album king. Mr. Green Day. <laughs> but this isn't even really a concept album, right? This is, they have these big concepts, but it's not a concept album necessarily. Again, like you said, it's it's art. It's art. Mm, that's a hot take. Like concept albums are like, here's a bunch of songs that are telling a like collective story in some way or another. Whereas this is like, you called it listening to a painting earlier or something like that and that's the perfect way to describe this this is almost like its own unique form of art separate from music but we're a music podcast we're a record ranking podcast and you said you kind of have to view it under a different lens i'm not viewing it i'm keeping my uh, you know my metrics are the same for every album you bring to me so this one's getting judged just like it's any other album (laughs) and therefore this one is getting Uh oh three big lemon suckers out of ten <laughs> this oh, is my first oh. ever three. We are we. You wanted to kick off year two with a big one, and for me, it's kicking off with my worst score yet, a three out of ten. Woohoo! Wow. Here's the thing. I guess we both consider it a three, just in very different contexts. <laughs> Number three overall for me, <laughs> a three out of ten for you. Yep. Wow. I didn't expect you to go so low. My ones that are fours, right? America Cheap Thrills. I really did not like the songs, but they were still songs. There's very few tracks on this album that even are like something like you said that you could put on and listen to just on shuffle on Spotify. Mm, how to Disappear completely disagrees. That is like the one exception, and that is why that I think is my playlist pick. Oh, How to Disappear completely. Okay. Yeah, I just purposely didn't say this note because uh, I didn't want to give it away. But in my notes, I said this is the best song so far, and that maintained throughout the whole album. So How to Disappear Completely is my playlist pick. I'm curious to know what yours is. Oh, that's that's a great question. Three. Wow. Yep. Let me just collect myself. That's what you get. I warned you if Buble didn't make it in your top 100, it was going to be a very vindictive year, too. And uh, here we and are. This no, no, this has nothing to do with spite. You're right. It really doesn't. You just didn't like the album. Now, that to be clear, um, you've expressed regret that Kanye wasn't a two. Yeah. Honestly, that's making me want to score this a two. Because I would put Whoa. this on the same caliber of enjoyment as Kanye's. But even if Kanye had its musical moments, I, you know what? This one's getting two big lemon suckers out of ten. You convinced me. You convinced me. This one's getting a two. No, that can't work like that. Uh, I've done it. I changed my mind. Thank you for the advice. Unbelievable. I'm cutting it out of the episode. Two big lemon suckers out of ten. I did say two was my limit on lemon suckers. So on lemon suckers. So <laughs> it works out. I guess that's only fair. Wow. I'm uh. I'm a little bit shocked that you disliked it so intensely. It's, it just wasn't. My playlist pick is going to be, let's go back to the consecutive tracks thing. I'm going to take the national anthem. Okay. Uh, that was my honorable mention, so I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Hey. 
Hey! If you're listening to this, you might think we're about to wrap up. Nope. Guess what? Surprise! That's not the case. We've got a brand new segment coming your way. We're kicking it off in honor of this being the birthday episode. We figured that this would be a good time to introduce it. You know, we want to hear from you. We want to interact with you guys. Writing department, the audience. Yeah. So what we're going to ask, it's going to be open from now on. You can send us a short audio clip or just a short text question, just depending, in, in like a Word document or something. And you can come up with a fact or spin about any artist that we've talked about on the podcast to that point any one of them so you got 53 to pick from now and then that list will continue to grow yeah and so you know you say oh i really love rascal flats but i wish they knew this fact i can't believe they didn't talk about this or i have a really clever lie to tell about machine gun kelly whatever you want you can send it our way the first clip should be the fact itself and then you should send a second one that tells us the answer whether it's a fact or a spin yeah and then connor and i will both participate we'll both try and take a guess at your fact or your spin i'm excited about this segment and if you're curious how that's gonna work we've got one right now we're calling this segment fan fact or spin since it's fact or spin from the fans fans. Uh, who's our first one from our first fact comes to us from david in maryland whoa feels like we're on the radio now (laughs) it does it does feel very official got caller we got our first caller from (laughs) yeah let's see what let's see what he's got to say In the music video for That's What I Want by Lil Nas X, towards the end, Nas walks down the aisle of a church absolutely rocking a wedding dress, ultimately to be handed an electric guitar by famous gay black icon and drag queen RuPaul Charles as a symbolic passing of the torch to a new generation of trailblazers for gay black men. So we've got a fact about Lil Nas X and the end of the music video for That's What I Want. I haven't seen the music video for That's What I Want. Me neither. I never did watch that one. I didn't either. Well, (laughs) I guess we have a decision to make. Works out. This definitely sounds like something both RuPaul and Lil Nas X would do. Oh, absolutely. Not to, I mean, he's had controversial music video moments in the past, right? We talked in the episode about the Satan shoes about him twerking on Satan and turning the Satan shoes into a whole trial for his imprisonment in Industry Baby. Not to mention, I mean, he did a whole bit on Twitter where he did like a pregnancy announcement for his album when it came out. I think the wedding dress thing, as a a guy who knows meme culture and social media trends, he can get people talking. I'm inclined to believe that this is a fact. What about you? Hmm. I'm just trying to decide if this, like, this definitely sounds like something that would have existed. I'm just trying to decide if it was in that video. Like, maybe our our first submission is trying to trick us with the the context of the information, you know? Sure. Well, let's think about, I mean, the song, That's What I Want, he wants someone to love him. So a wedding maybe would be appropriate. Hmm. So what are you, you're going, you're going fact? I'm leaning towards fact. We can't, listen, I'm just going to make a rule right now. We cannot just each pick one fact and one spin every time for the sake of one of us getting it right. I just assumed we were going to have our own little personal score going for who got the most fan submissions right oh okay okay i i hate that because you're gonna win <laughs> what are you talking about you, you killed against but the sure. mixtape you're really good at this game i have very little practice but you're really good when you do play <laughs> it's true <laughs> whatever let's lock your answer and what are you saying i'm gonna go spin i don't trust our fans i think i think they're not gonna be able to help themselves or try to make us look like fools you don't you don't think that this is in the music video huh okay uh let's listen to the reveal all right this is a spin no <laughs> It was not RuPaul who handed Nas the guitar. In fact, it was Billy Porter, another gay black icon, who is known for playing the drag queen Lola in the Broadway musical Kinky Boots. 
Oh, okay. I was a little off. Well, shoot. I can't believe this. Oh. Man, almost true. I just assumed that like this like happened outside of the music video. I thought this was a context issue, but no, they, they lied about who it was. Interesting that it was Billy Porter from Kinky Boots, it looks like. Yeah. Interesting. I'll take the lead in our first <laughs> round of Fan Factor Spin. Dang, I uh, you were totally right, though. That seems like the kind of thing that RuPaul would participate in. Oh, yeah, it absolutely does. If you have fun facts that you want to submit just like that in two separate audio clips, you can send them to thespinitpodcast at gmail.com or look for a place to click on our website and submit that way. And again, doesn't have to be audio. It could just be a couple different Word documents or, or text things. Yep. Hey, thanks for one awesome year of podcast. We're looking forward to many, many more. Once again, Merch Store is officially launching tomorrow. Be sure to check out all the ridiculous products we've spent time making. One more quick little exciting one-year announcement. Spin it's going live. Yeah, that's exciting. So that's part of our um our week-long birthday party. Yeah, we will be doing a live stream on Twitch. Our our official Spin It Twitch at Spin It Pod, twitch.tv slash spin it pod will be going live this week on July 21st. We'll be going live. Not sure what we'll be doing yet. We'll be maybe doing a silent disco, listening to your singles recommendations. Yeah. Playing an album, yeah. hanging out. Just come ready for a good time. I'm looking forward to the launch of that. And, you know, drop us a follow there. You never know when we'll go live, maybe to record an episode or to do singles or just hang out. We'll see. It's a new medium that we're going to dabble into. So spin it live, twitch.tv slash spin it pod. That'll be us. It's exciting stuff. It really is. The mixtapers over here uh, reminding me to tell people to go follow him on Twitter at the underscore mixtaper. And if the mixtaper Twitter is not your thing, you can also follow the podcast at Spin It Pod on Twitter and at Spin It Pod Official on Instagram. Once again, our website, www.spinitpod.com. And um, we'll see you next week for another episode. Keep an eye on socials for that merch giveaway starting on Monday. Yep. And uh, you know what? We'll see you next time. Until then, and for our birthday, please keep spinning. I want cake. You bought the mixtaper a cake. Yeah, well, you should have come to the mixtaper's birthday. He's devastated. I didn't get invited. He claims he did. Maybe he got lost in the mail. Maybe he did. I'll have to check with the mail department. You know how much of a mess they are. Yeah, well.